everybody. Welcome to Election Profit Makers, your guide to winning and losing money on the 2020 election and other catastrophes. I'm David Reese, and I'm joined by my friend Starley Kine. Hello, Starley. Hi. And also a very excited John Kimball. Hello, John. Hey, David. How are you doing? And hello, <laughs> Starley. Good to see you this Woo! morning. It's, it's morning. The morning drive time show has begun. You're listening to The Election Zookeepers with Dave Starley and Mad Dog John Kimball. When I used to work morning radio, I was Long John Silver for 102 Jams in Greensboro. Ugh. It's pretty cool, right? I didn't name myself that. Are you? Is this true? Yeah, I was just a producer. Most of my air stuff was at WCHL in Chapel Hill. 1360 WCHL, nonstop Chapel Hill. I remember that. You used to interview students in the high school parking lot with a tape recorder about issues of the day. Chapel Hill speaks out. I would ask questions like, what do you think about women in the military? Or what do you think about putting warning on Good morning, listeners. Okay. This is your drive time podcast about election profits. This week's theme, I've decided, is insider trading. Because we are going to discuss not only our best buddy, Richard Burr, We're also going to talk about some insider trading on the predicted message boards, and we also have some listener Q&As. It's 27 after the hour. Notice how I did that because we're national and I'm on the East Coast, so we just, we don't actually say what time it is. We just give the minutes. Got it. John Kimball, a huge week in news for our shared obsession, North Carolina Senator Richard Burr, who, as we all remember was subject to a brutal campaign of phone calls from David Reese to his senators demanding Richard Burr's resignation. And John, what happened late last week? Richard Burr received a visit from the FBI, and they are investigating him for these trades. They confiscated his cell phone. That was big, right? Starley, was it big or not? Yes or no? Starley Kine. I mean, in terms of a pandemic action, yes. That's the most action that's happened in this pandemic. Okay, let's put aside the actual rationale of Burr's investigation for now, because I think that gets tricky and very depressing very quickly. So before we go on, let's do a Richard Burr timeline. So here's what happened. In 2012, Congress passed something called the Stock Act, which was to make it a crime for lawmakers to use non-public information when they're buying or selling stock. And the Stock Act stands for? Stop trading on congressional knowledge. I mean, as far as acronyms go, that's a pretty good one. A lot of times they have to force it and it gets really awkward, you know? Like Like, the Patriot Act. Right. That was a ridiculous one. That one was like protecting America taxpayers, really innocent, only terror. It just didn't make any sense, but they have to get (laughs) Patriot, you know? Stock Act, they nailed. Yes. So this was a bipartisan thing to give at least the appearance of anti-corruption. Only three senators voted against the Stock Act, and our buddy, Richard Burr, was one of those three. Interesting. So keep that in mind. That was back in 2012. Then in January 24th of this year, there was a closed-door briefing for senators only, very exclusive, about COVID. Two weeks later, February 7th, Richard Burr and Lamar Alexander published an opinion piece with Fox News, which is a terrific place to get your news, saying, quote, the United States today is better prepared than ever before to face emerging public health threats like the coronavirus. Six days later, Richard Burr starts dumping stock like a fucking madman. (laughs) 
Richard Burr and his wife, his lovely wife, sold between $600,000 and $1.7 million worth of stocks. Two weeks later, after that dumping the stock, on February 27th, Richard Burr speaks to something called the Tar Heel Circle. John, are you a member of the Tar Heel Circle? I am not. This is a very exclusive coterie of North Carolina movers and shakers. At this private meeting, Richard Burr said that COVID was probably going to be like the 1918 flu pandemic. He was basically like, uh, everybody's about to get fucked by this. Less than one month later, on March 19th, ProPublica, another great place to get your news, ProPublica first reported on Richard Burr's controversial stock sale of February 13th. And then finally, two months after that, last week, FBI agents seize Richard Burr's phone. So that brings us up to speed vis-a-vis the timeline. I think those are the main events. Now, let's discuss why this happened, because now is when we can get really in the weeds and get a little bit depressed. John, what is your theory? Is this Bill Barr's Justice Department once again putting politics aside and acting solely in the public interest in the name of the greater good? Mm, Yeah, no. No. If it were, then they would have acted on these other insider trades that we know about as well. Uh, Kelly Leffler, but they like her and they have a bone to pick with Richard Burr because he was head of the chair of the Senate Foreign Intel Committee which looked into the beginnings of the Russia investigation. Not only that, Richard Burr subpoenaed America's best wettest boy, Donald Trump Jr., the coolest dude with the coolest beard, who has just mastered the art of sitting on things. He just always looks so cool and natural when he sits on something. So maybe they were just waiting for a pretext to take Richard Burr down. ProPublica unwittingly gives Donald Trump And Bill Barr, a huge gift by reporting on Richard Burr's sketchy stock sales. And keep in mind, guys, the thing about Richard Burr, not only was he selling all this stock of companies that were about to get totally hosed because of COVID, he was at the same time telling the public, everything's going to be fine. It's no big deal. Everybody relax. Okay. But he knew. He knew. Okay. So so you think that Trump wants to just rough him up, hurt him? Yeah. He hurt his reputation, make him go through some pain. Or do you think Trump wants him to actually not be a senator anymore and be forced to resign? Okay. So here's the thing. And now the delicate dance begins. And this dance is like the finest spider thread because it has to be choreographed just so. Okay. This is like making a food that is going to fall apart if you get one extra grain of sugar in it, like a souffle or something like that. All right. So the situation, ladies and gentlemen, Richard Burr is still a United States senator, of course, representing the Tar Heel State, North Carolina. If Richard Burr resigns before September, there will be a special election this November in 2020. North Carolina will have two Senate elections. It's so crazy. Plus, the Republican National Convention is going to be in Charlotte. John, this means yeah. North Carolina will be, the ter- will be the axis on which the future of our democracy turns. North Carolina, the number one state, the most important state of the year. Plus, we've got the last dance on ESPN <laughs> reminding everyone about UNC's basketball program. This is incredible. The rules <laughs> in North Carolina are if a senator resigns or is kicked out or is not in office, the governor who currently is Roy Cooper, who's a Democrat, 
picks the replacement, but the replacement has to be one that is on a list that is given to him by the by the Republicans in the General Assembly. So the Republicans in the General Assembly would give Roy Cooper a list of, I don't know, three or four names of other Republicans to replace Richard Byrne. He would pick one. That person would hold that seat until November, and then there would be a special election. That would be huge. It'd be the first double-barreled Senate race in <sighs> North Carolina since 1950. And I don't know why the Republicans would want something like that. I'm not done, Long John Silver. Oh, man, I hate that I mentioned that. I'm making this souffle out of spider webs. You can't rush me here. This is very delicate. If Richard Burr resigns within 60 days of the November election, which is to say anytime after September 3rd, Roy Cooper, again, uh, picks his replacement, but then that person serves through the end of Richard Burr's term in 2022. In that case, we don't have a double-barreled Senate election in North Carolina. And John and I, and I assume Starley, will all be very disappointed. So here's where the souffle comes in. Do they want Richard Burr out of the Senate before September 3rd? No, they don't want to deal with a double-barreled Senate election in North Carolina. I mean, we've got Tom Tillis and, and Cal Cunningham neck and neck in the main Senate election. They don't want a situation where North Carolina somehow elects two Democratic senators. That would just be so amazing. And people's eyes would be popping out of their heads. You'd have to, like, watch where you step. There'd be so many eyeballs on the sidewalk. So I think they did want to ding Richard Burr. Trump loves to punish his enemies. Like, that's a priority, obviously. That's what the president does, is punish enemies using the entire force of the United States government to do so. I have a feeling they want Richard Burr out, but they're going to wait until after September 3rd to do it. And then the White House will tell the North Carolina General Assembly which Republicans to put on the list. And then Roy Cooper will have a choice of three stinkers that he has to pick. That person will serve through 2022. That's my theory. Don't you think Trump is petty enough, though. Don't you think his pettiness could trump his rational strategizing? Yes. What you just painstakingly laid out does not sound like the man whose tweets Long John Silver has spent sleepless nights monitoring. No. First of all, he doesn't think that far into the future. There's nothing he would find more satisfying than making Richard Burr resign. That's the ultimate humiliation. I disagree somewhat, which is I think that Donald Trump is capable of medium-term thinking if it concerns his political fortunes. Trump is easily convinced. That's where the weakness is. You're absolutely right, Starley, that there's no question that he is not a strategic thinker. But he will do what the last person told him to do. And the last person he's going to be talking to is Mitch McConnell, who's going to be saying, are you insane? We can't do this. And even though he wants to do it, and he's sure that both Senate races will be won by the Republicans, in the end... He'll do what the what he perceives the smart people want him to do. I guess Mitch McConnell could tell Trump, you're allowed to tweet about Richard Burr all you want, but we can't have him lose his job. He, but the interesting thing is he hasn't been tweeting about Richard Burr. Someone told him not to tweet about him because at a press gaggle, he was like, I don't really know much about Richard Burr. I'm not really following that story. Yeah. When, when he says yeah. that, you always know that he's knee deep in that story. But they cannot force they cannot force Burr out. Burr would have to resign. And and Burr is not going to be investigated and arrested in, in a matter of months. It's going to take a long time. No, he is, John. Bob Mueller is assembling a top secret squad of former Marines and ninjas. And it pains me to say this because 
I'm pro-life. They're going to give Richard Purr the death penalty for treason. <laughs> you like that? was a little Louise Mensch cultural reference. I had to, I had to give long John uh, Silver to nice. see those pearly whites. See that smile. Oh, my God. Louise Mensch. Oh. <laughs> Remember when everything used to be so fun? Louise Mensch would be like, guys, I really hate to say this, but Donald Trump is going to be executed for treason within 48 hours. <laughs> guys, here's what we want to happen. This is the position that election profit makers endorses. And it's a long shot. But when I was talking about writing my postcards and, and phoning my senators, everyone said that was a long shot. And then look what happened. I caused the FBI to seize Richard Burr's phone. <laughs> Underestimate Kid Midas at your peril, okay? This is a kid who can bring empires to their knees. I'll do that before I even get out of bed. I'll do that in my bed, on my phone, be like, I'm going to fuck around and bring an empire to their knees, okay? That's the Kid Midas way. Here's our next mission, ladies and gentlemen. Kid Midas and Agent Long John Silver and Queen Midas, Starly, We've got to get Richard Burr out before September so that we can have a double-barreled election in North Carolina. This would be so crazy. Right, John? It actually makes me sick thinking about it. But let's do it. North Carolina is- Let's be legends. Let's do it and be legends. Let's be the fire festival of states. Except (laughs) this will work. You're not going to be handing out little whack-ass sandwiches and styrofoam containers with, you know, everyone in their little tent. I mean, you probably will be because of coronavirus, ironically. But we can do it. North Carolina can handle this. So, John, what can we do to get Richard Burr out? It was September 3rd. We have what? It's May, right? June, July, August. We have three months. We can do that. Three plus months. Okay. I'm conflicted at this point because, of course, we got to bring this back to predicted. And there is a market on this. Will Richard Burr still be a senator on July the 1st? And I'm in that market as yes. What And yes is now trading at 86. I actually got in at 75 and wrote it to 87, got out, and now I'm trying to get back in, but it's not really dropping below 85. But that's still a good return. And there's no question. You know what, John? Yes. Uh, I don't know. 15 cents? No. I kind of feel like, mm, I'm so tempted right here. But let's. Let's keep our hats on our heads and say this. The current predicted market is for Burr to be out by July 1st. Remember, that still gives us two months because the the do or die is September. All right? So we can ride waves and play around until July, hot and sunny all summer long on these surfboards riding on Richard Burr's political fortune. But then in July, looking to September is when things get real. And he's got to be gone by September. So I'll give people permission if they want to buy, yes, in this market, Richard Burr will still be a senator by July 1st. Having said that, let me slip in here and buy a couple shares of no at 15 cents just because something crazy could happen, John. I mean, who would have thought the FBI would follow up on this case, even attributing the cynical rationale to them, that they're doing it to punish Burr? I really was. I'm, I'm in. Here we go. Let's also remember that Richard Burr I mean, he trades stocks in pharma all the time, and also that he sold a house in D.C. to a guy who used to lobby him at above market rates. I mean, you have to respect the hustle a little bit. Like, he's out here trying to just make money. He's like us. He's like us. He's obsessed with money, and he just wants to be rich, just like the three of us, and he'll do whatever it takes. And I am glad, regardless of the reason, 
that the FBI seized his phone. Because fuck this guy. Come on. What are you doing? Well, that's the thing. I mean, even if we know it's not for the right reason, if it means Richard Burr has to resign, that's something. Oh, I'll take that. Oh, totally. That's, that's all we can kind of ask for right now. There's no pure victory. We're not living in that time. Another good thing about the FBI seizing his phone and, this bec- and, and Burr becoming the public face of COVID corruption is it is going to prompt the question, well, what about Loeffler? Like, what's going on? Like, why not her? Yeah. I will say, speaking of Senate votes, that Richard Burr, his beard, I'm loving it. I mean, I hate to say a good thing about this guy. More so than any other politician who's sporting a COVID beard, Richard Burr looks terrific. He's got great style. Ted Cruz looks fucking pathetic. He started growing his beard years ago. That beard has never, never took. Ted Cruz, we see your dumb fucking face through that beard. Then he went out and had made a big faroo farah about getting his hair cut. He got the jankiest haircut I've ever seen. That haircut looks like it was cut by a fucking car. <laughs> Ted Cruz looks like shit. Richard Burr looks so good right now with his beard. He looks like a kindly professor. He, he, he looks like a humanities professor at Wake Forest. He looks like a liberal. Yeah, he does. He does. When he doesn't have a beard, you're like, oh, yeah, this dude is a total insider trader. Look at this. Look at this banking asshole from Charlotte. He's not from Charlotte, but I'm saying that's a type. And that's what Richard Burr looks like when he's clean shaven. But when he grew that beard, I was like, whoo, you're speaking my language now. This cosplay, whoo-wee. He's like, guys. Before I trade these stocks, let's do a post-colonial reading on uh, Their Eyes Were Watching God. Do you guys, do you know the car that Richard Bird drives? Yeah, it's like one of those, uh, it's like a, one of those Jeeps that can go in a swamp. It looks like it's made out of corrugated tin siding. You know, this type of car, if you can picture this in your mind. G.I. Joe from the 70s kind of thing. It's got holes in it. It's full of leaves. You know, complete piece of crap. Wait, does he have that piece of shit car because he wants to look like he... He's going to drive through the swamp and take down the swamp or because he wants to throw people off the scent of all his insider trading money. That's true. Starley brings up a good point. He's literally driving a swamp mobile. He doesn't wear socks anywhere. Wait, either. what? I didn't know he didn't wear socks. That, yeah, he's famous. Ugh. He wears dress shoes with no socks or he wears a little booty socks where you can't see the top of the sock. No, he wears no socks. Oh, so he's, so he's crazy. <laughs> John, I just thought of something. This cynical game, this power play works in two directions. Richard Burr could be holding something over the Trump administration. He's the chair of the Senate Intel Committee. He's heard a bunch of stuff in closed-door committee hearings that we have not heard. Does he have leverage to be like, oh, you're going to try to get rid of me? Let, me? let me leak some shit about Don Jr. Let me unredact some of this Russia stuff. Well, he already, he went ahead and put a proposal to release all that information before he stepped down. This is getting so juicy. We're going to see whether that actually happens and who they're going to replace him with. So he, he already is trying to get that out. This is the best thing that's happened to us since we started season two of Election Profit Makers. This has everything. This has got the Russia stuff. This has got the insider trading. This has got coronavirus. This has got cynicism coming and going from both sides. This is about leverage there's so many points of leverage here. This is like a marionette factory. So many strings being pulled. Such a variety of expiring markets. So many different markets to be looking forward to betting on. Will he resign by July 1st? Will he be out by September 3rd? Then there's the whole election in November. The narrative of Richard Burr correlates perfectly with the narrative of Predict It. And it all takes place in the great state of North Carolina. The gravitational pull of Long John Silver 
in his former career in Greensboro Drive Time Radio. Home of home of Richard Burr, yeah. Is so powerful that all of America history and news is collapsing around it. So long, John. Keep your head on your shoulders. Keep those long johns on. Keep them as long as possible. And guide us through this, because this story is one to watch. And that's the election profit maker's seal of approval. Long John Silver had a peg leg, right? Yeah, I think so. The peg leg is kind of like the pirate version of no socks. Oh, that, yeah. I mean, honestly, John, if Richard Burr wanted to cosplay as a pirate, and he's from North Carolina. The choice is clear, right, John? Yeah, he's going to go as Blackbeard. Blackbeard, the greatest pirate yeah. of all time. North Carolina pirate, number one pirate. Speaking of insider trading, we have an insider trading scandal of our own. Not among us, of course. We're far too ethical. But Predict It has an insider trading situation. John, why don't you tell us about libertarian candidate Justin Amash and what happened on Predict It? Well, on Saturday afternoon, Justin Amash, the leading libertarian candidate for president, suddenly dropped out. Uh, One of the reasons he said he dropped out was that the voices on social media have been strongly averse to the risk posed by a third-party candidate. So he basically got trolled out of this by people on Twitter, which kind of made me feel good. So he began this tweet thread saying that he was dropping out at 1.45 p.m. Eastern time, causing his price on predicted in the libertarian candidate market to crash. It had been trading at 86 cents. By the time I got to it, it was trading at 5 cents. But a closer look, which was first found by predicted trader Jason Pipkin, showed that there were some foreshadowing trades that occurred about two hours before that announcement. 2,000 shares traded hands. In the 11 o'clock Richard hour. Richard Burr got up in those markets. Exactly. Richard Burr, we see you on Predicted with this insider intel. Somebody right. had some inside info. It caused the price to drop into the low 70s. And then in the next hour, another one and a half thousand shares sort of trickled out. And then around two o'clock when he made the announcement, it dropped immediately. Make money. No rules. Libertarian 2020. Fuck a fire department. Libertarians 2020. That's right. We don't need any air traffic controllers. (laughs) So that's it? That's it, man. Justin Amash is gone, and he never mattered anyway, I don't think. And we don't know if it was someone in Amash's campaign or if it just happened to be a reporter that also trades and they got a little heads up and they, they jumped in. It must be fairly common, right? I'll predict it. I think it's probably very common. And if you were watching and saw it drop like that, you might say, hmm. And I think that's probably what those other shares that traded were people just sort of swimming in the wake. Like something might be going down. Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't people do it all the time? Because even the politicians on Predict It, could they go on Predict It before they know something's going to happen to them and make bets? I don't see why not. Predict It doesn't care. The whole point of Predict It is to be like, yeah, insider trading is good because then we get to follow collective political opinion in real time. It's not cheating on Predict It to use insider information like it is on the stock market. What if Fauci got like a got like a text from Trump saying, I'd like to talk to you, and he like went on to Predict It right before, logged on, made the bet? I could see Fauci. That seems like the kind of thing Fauci would do. <laughs> He'd be like, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to make a little money off this. That would be incredible. That would be such a mind-blowing scandal. Anthony Fauci 
made a million dollars on Predict It over the course of the coronavirus. He was like, yeah, I don't really, I'm not really interested in disease anymore. I just like making money. (laughs) I mean, I just don't understand. Well, I don't understand why insider trading is illegal. This is going to sound weird, but if you can do something without breaking the law, then why is that thing against the law? It's just because it's people have access to information other people don't have access to, which I guess is good. But when you think about it from a high enough altitude and you're like, this whole fucking capitalist system is a total scam. It's rigged from the get go. Who cares about insider trading? But maybe I'm just being contrarian. It's not contrarian. It's libertarian. <laughs> it's, it's drive time zoo question corner with a libertarian slant from David Reese, America's least likely libertarian. That's what we'll call that section. And we'll have like a rocket ship sound and electric guitar solo. I actually don't think you're the least likely libertarian. No, I'm probably like, look at me, like a middle, a middle class, middle aged white guy. Like I'm, 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 I'm amazed I'm not a libertarian. <laughs> Who loves to rant. Right, exactly. I can't believe I don't have a podcast just called Eat Red Pills All Day. And it's nothing but men's rights movement and Elon Musk fanboy. Like, we're going to go to Mars and it's going to be so sick. The women are going to wear dress. Oh, my God. Guys, it's time for the Election Profit Makers Q&A Spectacular here on 1010-420. John, we got a question. Are you ready to answer a question? Yes. We have a question from someone named Noah John. It's about skylines. He says, of course, it's not one of the top skylines, but an underrated skyline is Albany, New York. It is a small city slash market, and it wouldn't compare to the best. He says Dubai is clearly the best in the world, but Albany is still worth a look-see. He's attached a photo of the skyline as well as a daytime pic. He says, check out the egg in the middle foreground in the nighttime pic. It isn't tall enough to impact the actual skyline, but it's an architectural beauty and unlike any other building, dare I say, in the world. Uh, And then he talks about all the great concerts that the Egg has hosted. Then he says the other buildings in Albany's skyline are the Empire State Plaza, the SUNY System Administration Building, City Hall, the Alfred E. Smith State Office Building. He says it's not going to be seared into your memory, but it does deserve a look. And this is what I thought was very interesting especially in the category of American state capital skylines. John, we've all had time to review the photos of the Albany skyline that were sent to us by Noah John. What is your opinion of this skyline, especially in the context of other state capital skylines? It's very strong. It's a strong skyline. Noah John is so pumped right now. I like to look at skylines on their per capita level. And Albany is a small, it's a small place. So I decided to look into some of my old uh, data that I had put together about skylines. Yes! And I found this thing that I put together a few years ago. Uh, it's a skyline MSA differential list, basically ranking U.S. skylines by their world ranking and then by the population of their metropolitan statistical area. For, for example, New York is the number one skyline in America in terms of its ranking, and it's also the number one largest MSA. MSA is, is metropolitan statistical area population. That is correct. So the difference there is zero. Right. Okay? You, want, you North, want a skyline uh, that's New- really punching above its weight. That's right. Yeah. So number one on this list is Lincoln, Nebraska. It ranked 94th in terms of its skyline 
94th best skyline in the U.S., and it ranks 152 in its MSA. So I looked on here. I wanted to find where Albany ranked, and they rank in the top 50 in terms of differentials in U.S. cities. But in terms of state capitals, they rank 14th. Oh, Albany sucks. I I thought it was going to be in the top five. No, no. For state capitals ranked in terms of differential between Skyline ranking and MSA, Albany, New York can't break the top five? Fuck out of here, Albany. Are you serious? (laughs) Everyone thought Cuomo was so great, the hero of the coronavirus. He can't even get his own Skyline into the top five? I like the Albany Skyline. I, I would really like to visit it in person sometime. Road trip. Maybe we'll do a live show in Albany. We can be like Pod Save America and be like, and our special guest is Governor Andrew Cuomo. All right. Which is your favorite state capital skyline? Personal favorite? I think it could be Austin or Atlanta and and Boston. Those are probably the three best. I I don't like Denver skyline for some reason. It's just 270s. I mean, they got cool mountains, though. Definitely. I mean, nature's skyline... When it comes to the ultimate skylines, we have to give a shout out to Mother Nature. As someone said regarding pandemics, Mother Nature always bats last and she always bats a thousand. And when it comes to skylines, it's kind of the opposite. Mother Nature batted first. She put up the, threw up the most ultimate skylines of all time. How are you even going to take the Empire State Building up against fucking Mount Everest? Mother Nature wins every time. <laughs> take any weird, funky skyline tower in Dubai and put it up against K2, or the Swiss Alps. Or the Redwoods. Or the Redwood Forest, then she's got trees as her backup skylines. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. We don't deserve to be on this planet. Mother Nature, ultimate skyline creator, mountains. John, this next question is such a roller coaster. I love it. This is someone writing us about last week's topics of the presidential tweet markets on Predict It. This is information from someone named Rob. Dear election profit makers, I had a few hundred shares in the 169 tweets or less market on Mother's Day. My money had more than doubled from 34 cents. I was sure of my position. I woke up the next morning on the West Coast to basically where I started and decided not to panic, thinking that the president's thumbs would get tired. So this is a guy who was taking the position that the president wouldn't tweet too much on that week. Yeah, he, he, he bought into bracket one, which ended up going up to about 75 <laughs> cents. And then the president tweeted, I don't know, like 150 times. That yeah, day. he went on fire. It was a historic day that we'll always remember forever as one of America's proudest achievements. He says, on Mother's Day, I went on a run with my kids so my wife could sleep in. On the run, my kids started whining. Mm-hmm. That's when we stopped for a break in the empty parking lot of an excellent pizzeria. This guy is a good writer. (laughs) I checked the tweet markets again, and that's when I panicked. My money had halved again. I sold all my shares for a big loss. Luckily, on the spot, I threw everything back in to the over 240 tweets market and rode the wave back to basically even, thank God. He went from B1 to B9. That's an extreme bracket jump. I'm way too deep in the 179 tweets or less market again this week. It went way down last night, but now it's looking better. I think Trump going to Camp David means he'll be below his average because of all the guests that are joining him. I just knocked on wood. 
And then this is when I started to get so excited by Rob's email. He says, insider tip, the last few times Trump has tweeted Obamagate, which right before he went to Camp David, his last tweet was in all caps, Obamagate. Whenever he tweets that, it means he's putting his phone down for a while and it's a good time to sell. My advice, though, is to stay away. I spend too much time trying to be in Trump's head, and that's not a recipe for happiness. I think he covered himself by saying my advice is to stay away. Yeah, he did. He, he, he hedged his bets a little. First, he gives us the juiciest little tip, which is whenever <laughs> Trump tweets Obamagate, it means someone is probably like one of his aides is like, give me the phone for 48 hours. And then, you know, he's not going to tweet a lot. And then you can get into one of these low brackets for the tweet markets. So I read this email and I sent it to John and Starlin and I said, we should discuss this. This guy seems to know what he's talking about. This is good advice. Then I get an email from him the next morning from Rob. <laughs> this guy was so convinced Trump wasn't going to tweet all weekend. I get an email from him the next morning. It says, I just woke up to 30 tweets. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> John, what happened to Rob? He got wiped out. The bracket that he was in is, is now trading at one cent. He should have taken his advice to stay out of these markets. There's no way to, f to find reason. The problem is, 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 is trying to come up against it with rational thinking, which is what we fall into with this maniac over and over again. I think there probably is a way to do it where you just are playing the numbers because the numbers and the spreadsheets must show something. But in order for them to work in your favor, you're going to have to stick to that system and play it all the time. And you're going to lose a lot, but you should win more than you lose. But I don't have the time for that. I'm going to have to, if I'm going to play it, you know, I'm going to have to play it getting in his mind. And that is a recipe for disaster. Look at Starly shaking her head. But I would say this, Starly, I want to push back a little, Starly, which is that there is a way, it's true that you cannot project your own. I think the reason that people have such a hard time wrapping their heads around this president is the inside of his head is just not like the inside of our heads. The inside of his head is mush and it's angry, but that doesn't mean there aren't tells. He has tells. When he crosses his arms and sulks at his desk during a meeting, it's because he feels intimidated and scared, okay? When he yells at female reporters and walks away in a huff, mm -hmm. it's because powerful women that aren't just objects for his psychic mutilation intimidate him. I do think Rob has a point. It could be true that when President Trump tweets Obamagate, I believed Rob when he was like, that means he's going to be offline for a while and he's just sending out one final turd into the ether before he has to go away and go to Camp David and conspire with Mitch McConnell. But in that example, he didn't. He then ended up tweeting. No, it's true. No, Rob is a one set wonder. He went from hanging out in the parking lot of an excellent pizzeria, making these trades to a one cent wonder overnight. Rob, I ban you from the tweet markets. And this is a ban for your mm -hmm. own good. And we haven't done a lot of banning this season. Mm -hmm. But Rob, you're banned from those markets. I want you to write us in two weeks and tell us how your psychological life has changed after this ban. Because these tweet markets will wreck your mind. We flirted with them last week. We chased the dragon. It's too much, you know? I watched Requiem from a Dream a couple nights after we recorded that episode about the tweet markets. And I was like, oh, this is what it's like. This is my life right now watching Requiem. That's what it's like with these tweet markets. You don't want to know where you end up if you spend too much time in these tweet markets. 
Hanging out with no no arm and a dildo up your butt. Requiem for a Dream is what you sought out during this time? I'd never seen it and I heard it was this classic movie and I was like, oh, I want to watch this because I'm feeling pretty down in the dumps and maybe if I see people with debilitating addictions to crazy drugs, I won't feel like such a fuck up. So I watched it, but it was kind of boring. I didn't like it. It felt like a really, really young person's version of what a super heavy movie about addiction would be like. Well, yeah, that's because Darren Aronofsky is pretty much a hack. Can't wait for us to start our movie podcast. (laughs) Oh my God, these takes, these takes, it's all going to be about how, if you listen to our Patreon episode, you know, John's favorite movie is Sound of Music, and we're going to dump all over Darinovsky, and all we're going to talk about is how great the Sound of Music is. I mean, I could do it all night and all day, but I still think that's a crazy pandemic choice to have watched Requiem for a Dream. It's all about comfort right now. Don't you know that? Well, the other thing I started watching that I had never seen before, and I was like, let me watch this, and it's the best thing ever, and I even wake up in the mornings and watch it, is this show called Parks and Recreation. That's what you're supposed to be doing. Have you guys ever seen that? Yeah. That's easy living right there, man. I was stunned at how much I was lolling at Parks and Recreation. These people are so silly. You know what I mean? Like, the stuff they're doing is just, like, so crazy. I was liking it. I've really been watching a lot of Parks and Recreation. I think it's good. It's not. That is not a hot take. One of, the, like, the top three most beloved shows of all time. Yeah. I'm into it. I'm into it, though. You know, sometimes you're like, oh, is my high standard of taste and my discerning palate going to leave me forever alienated from the masses? And then you watch it and you're like, oh, this is good. I, I enjoy Parks and Recreation. It is a hot take for David. <gasps> this is true. This is a significant moment. David just freely admitting he loves the popularly acknowledged choice. I think it's progress. Parks and Recreation, a sitcom, election profit maker, seal of approval, drive time, TV recommendation. Okay, John, those were the two questions, right? Tweet Market and Albany? I would just like to say that last night I went to bed around 1.30 and I decided I'm getting in this market. I couldn't help it. Wait, what? You're in the Tweet Market? I'm not in it anymore, but I jumped in last night at 23 cents in the 260 or more B9 bracket And I tried to get in his head, and I thought he'd wake up this morning and go on a bit of a rant. Woke up this morning at 7 o'clock. Nothing had happened. I was underwater. But at 8.30, he went off. And I quickly rode that thing up to 40 cents and got out. And that's as high as it went this morning. It went immediately back down to 33. So I sold half my position at 35 and the other half of it at 40. It you was timed a 68% it perfectly. Percent return overnight. You timed it perfectly. I nailed it, and I think I'll probably never play again because it can lead to bad places. But now, but I mean, you had the rush. You had that good hit. I mean, this is the this is what Requiem for a Dream is about. Feels good for a while, doesn't it? John, what is your drive time honk honk bet of the week? It is to bet that Richard Burr will still be a senator on July first. It is not a lot of uh, volume in this market. But if you can get in at the low 80s, up to mid 80s, I think that's fine. You think it's a guaranteed return? Yes, I think it's a guaranteed return. Starly, do you have a honk honk bet of the week? I'm going to do the timing of Biden's VP announcement. Oh. Hmm. Right now it's at 22 cents for before July 5th or 18 cents for August 9th to the 15th. Huh. I'm going to do before July 5th. Whoa. Really? Yeah, because every time I count how many months we have until the presidential election, we really do have very few. It's what? It's five months. It's just crazy because of the state of our times that we don't have any 
news. And so I feel that Biden's picking a woman. Hopefully, whoever he chooses will it will help him. And we just need some news. We need some sort of announcement. He has to do it just so we have news. We, yeah. So I'm going to go with before July 5th. That's oh, I'm into that. How much yeah. is that? 22 cents right now. It just Ooh, went up. And you're not saying who he's going to pick. You're just saying when he's going to make the announcement. Yeah. He better pick somebody who's good with technology. Yeah. John Kimball, my bet of the week is the exact opposite of your bet of the week. I am shooting for the stars. I'm betting no. Richard Burr will not still be a senator on July 1st. I know this is a long shot, but this motivates me to keep up my devastating campaign of postcards and phone calls. Let it be so. I am in 15 cents per share. Richard Burr, your days are numbered. The Chapel Hill Chernobyl is coming for you. Kid Midas, the Senate wrecker. With the postcard campaign, is there can listeners redirect their postcards? Can they send them to the FBI? I'll probably send a postcard to Bill Barr and just say, hey, man, I think you're cool. Mm, let me think about that. Over the okay. course of the next week, let me do a little research about how to get rid of Richard Burr as a senator by July 1st. I'm going to figure it out. I've been reading a lot of Jack Reacher novels and Bosch novels. I've read three Bosch novels in a week because I need to learn how some master criminal behavior so that I can learn how to manipulate the world to my fiendish ends. And my first goal is to get Richard Burr out by July 1st. So the battle is joined. Election Profit Makers is a Radio Point production with executive producers Alex Bach, Rich Corson, and Daniel Powell. You can support us on Patreon, where we post exclusive content, including special episodes only available to our Patreon supporters. Go to patreon.com slash electionprofitmakers. You can send election prediction questions to contact at electionprofitmakers.com. If you want to trade on Predicted, we have a promo code. You can get up to $20 in matching investment funds using the link predicted.org slash promo slash EPM20. Goodbye, Starly. Bye. Goodbye, Long John Silver. Bye, guys. We are your drive time radio choice. As always, election profit makers. We will talk to you guys next week. Hang in there. Drive safe. <laughs>